welcome to the New Life Fellowship podcast. New Life Fellowship is a community of grace in Kitchener, Ontario, Canada. Our goal is to teach and share and experience the life of Jesus Christ together. You're about to listen to a message from one of our meetings. Please make sure to check out our website, newlifekw.ca. Without further ado, let's listen in. Well, good morning, everyone. I know it's early. I feel it too sometimes. Well, you can turn in your Bibles to, to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. That's where we're going to be studying this morning. Uh, but while you're doing that, I'm going to turn to Matthew 11. And I want to read to you um, a, a well-known passage, uh, one that you've probably heard many, many times. Uh, it's really a, a beautiful invitation from our, our Lord Jesus. Uh, so Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 to 30, Jesus he says to the, to, the, to the Jews, to the people who are there, he says, come unto me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my load is light, or my burden is light, depending on your translation. It's an incredible picture, but I think there's a, a beautiful illustration in this, in this invitation that Jesus is giving to us. And, and it starts with a yoke. And uh, so some of you younger people may not know what a yoke is anymore because it's uh, kind of been replaced now with tractors and so forth. But the yoke was what they would place on the oxen as they would pull the plows. And they would often pair two, two uh, oxen together in such a way that they'd, they'd pair the, the young, weaker, inexperienced oxen with a strong, well-experienced, smarter, more intelligent oxen. And, and when that happened, the, the smarter, stronger one did basically all the work, but the younger one was coming along and was learning uh, as they went. And, and so that's this beautiful picture here that I think Jesus is giving to us, is that he's inviting you and I to be yoked with him, where he is that stronger, smarter, more experienced oxen, and we are the younger, weaker one. And we're going to partner with him. That's what the sense of a yoke is. It's, it's one piece of wood that would attach these two oxen together. And so we're putting upon his yoke, partnering with him. And, and it's an incredible picture because here Jesus, he's speaking to a group of Jews, people who are living under the old covenant. And, and the old covenant, I think, was in many ways what we see in this world, where it's a, a standards by which you have to live up to. Uh, expectations by which you're being judged and evaluated with, and then condemned when you fail to measure up to that. And I see that in our world, that our world has a set of expectations in terms of what you're allowed to say and how you're allowed to act and who you're allowed to hang out with and vice versa. And when you fail, here comes the, the condemnation. Here comes the attacks. Here comes the shame. And we feel beat down and, and feeling miserable and all that. And so that invitation that Jesus is giving these Jews who are being beat up by the old covenant, by the law, I think applies to you and I today in this world, in this very cruel world where Jesus says, listen, you don't have to measure up to them. You're not being judged and evaluated by what the world is offering. Instead, come to me. Come follow me. Come trust me and learn from me. This new covenant, that's the yoke that we're going to be under. This new covenant is one of grace. One where God does for us what we can never do for ourselves. 
One where now he is the strength and the power by which we move through this life and through this world. And I think that's really important to understand because he's not asking you and I to live like him. He's not asking us to imitate him. He's not asking us to be Jesus with skin on. I hear all those phrases within the church. None of that is what he's asking of us. What he's asking us is to trust him, to let Jesus literally be Jesus in and through us, that he would be the source of the strength and the power through us as we live in this world. And that's the invitation that he's giving to us. Well, I think that's a great way to introduce this passage because Paul now is going to warn us about another potential yoke. Because the reality is, although we're yoked to Jesus and we come to faith in him, we can now choose to partner with something else. We can still choose now to, to go it another way, to, to find things on our, on our own strength, despite even belonging to Jesus. And so he's, Paul's going to warn us about these potential other oxens that we could be partnered with. And we're going to see how, how the, the invitation there again is to find life in Jesus, to find freedom in him. And that's what he's offering to us. So let's pray. Father, I'm excited for what you have in store for us this morning as we, we delve into your word again. Delve into this letter that, that was written thousands of years ago, but really has great warning and great uh, application for us today. The reality is this could have been a letter to the people of Kitchener, Waterloo, Cambridge. And so I pray, Father, that your spirit would be the teacher. Your spirit would speak to us and that we would hear from you what it is that you want, want us to do in reaction or response to this message. But thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are, in fact, leading us. You are, in fact, guiding us and we can trust you. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. So in 2 Corinthians 6. Verse 14, it's a, it's a famous passage. You've, you've probably heard this uh, multiple times. Uh, verse 14, Paul writes, Do not be bound together with unbelievers, for what partnerships have righteousness with lawlessness and fellowship with light and with darkness and, and so forth. We'll, we'll catch up on that in a second there. I just want to look at the beginning of that verse. Do not be bound together. Or I think the King James says, do not be unequally yoked. And so that's a, a well-known passage within the church and has been used many different ways, different, uh, different times. The first thing I want us to notice here is that Paul's giving a command. That, that word that's translated be in my translation is actually the imperative tense. And, and what that means is it's not a suggestion. It's not consider this. It's not think about this. Paul's actually giving you and I a command. And the command is to not be bound together, not to be in a, a partnership or not be literally mixed yoked. That's literally what it's saying. That's hence the unequally yoked uh, translation in the King James. Do not be mixed yoked or differently yoked with unbelievers. Now, I think it's important to understand that, that there are still commands in the New Testament. Often we think about commands as being part of the old covenant, part of the law, and, and all these commands are out there. And the reality is there are commands in the New Testament. There are plenty of commands in the New Testament. But I, I like how, how Ian, who's not here to accept the glory this time, uh, that's on you, Ian. You should have been here. Um, <laughs> but uh, Ian likes to say about the commands is how that really what God's doing when he's giving us the command, he says, don't hurt yourself. I think that's a great way of picturing it. These commands that we have in the New Testament are not the commands that are, you're being evaluated by. You're not being judged by these commands. You're not determining, do you measure up and are you good enough? That's the old covenant system. We've already been judged. 
We've already been evaluated and you've been determined to be made right and righteous and acceptable. And you cannot change any of that. That's what we've been looking at these last few weeks. So these commands that God's giving us now are for our protection. They're for our good. And, and so these commands here, we're to take seriously, because if we don't take these commands seriously, what we're in, a sense, in essence saying is, God, I know better than you. That I, I'm actually smarter than you are in my own life. And that's folly. That's foolishness. And so we're going to take these commands serious that God's giving to us. And the command here is do not be unequally yoked. Now, typically, this passage has been applied to marriage. And I, I think that's appropriate and it's fitting, but I don't think it's limited to marriage. I think we need to think beyond marriage. I think it's, it's to all kinds of partnerships. And it could be in business. It could be in close friendships. It's basically who are the people that you're going to attach yourself to? That's the warning he's giving here. And he's saying, make sure that you don't attach yourself to people who don't share the same faith as you. So that's the command. Don't be unequally yoked. Don't be bound together with those who don't believe. Now that's the command. So now he's going to explain the why. So the explanation comes in the middle of verse 14. For what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness or what fellowship has light with darkness or what harmony has Christ with Belial or what is a believer in common with an unbeliever? So he's explaining himself now as the reason for that. And, and you'll notice here the whole basis of his argument, the whole basis of his command is based on your identity. It's based on who you are. That's why we spent these last few weeks trying to make sure and hammer home this idea that who we are matters. And who we are is because of what Christ has done. And we're not a sinner saved by grace. Amen. Hallelujah that that's not true. Because if we were a sinner saved by grace, then it wouldn't matter who you partner yourself with because it would be like, because you'd be no different than the world. But the reality is we are different from the world now. Not because of what you've done, not that you're somehow better than other people, but because of what Christ has done. And so with this identity here that we're going to see, he's, he's driving it home. In the contrast between believers and unbelievers, between the church and those who are not yet part of the church. And so look at the contrast. He's saying that we're righteous versus those who are lawless. There's light and there's darkness. I mean, I don't know of a, of a stronger contrast than light and darkness. And then there's Christ and Belial. Belial often is referred to as a, or believed to be just another name for Satan. And now that we're born again, we're children of God. But Jesus says in John chapter 8, I think it is, that either you're born of God, you're either a child of God, or you're a child of Satan. Which one are you? There's no one between. And so the world still belongs to Satan. And so what fellowship, what partnership, what do we have in common with those who still belong to Satan, Paul's saying? Believer and unbeliever. Now note, he's not talking about mature believer versus immature believers. Because I've seen this sometimes where this passage has been misused to, to somehow judge other Christians. That, well, you're, you're a better believer here. That, that this, this denomination or this church you're part of is superior than these people over here. So what partnership do you have with them? That's not what it's referring to. It's not mature or immature or certain beliefs versus different other beliefs. It's all those who name the name of Jesus. Believers versus those who have rejected it, or at least, at the very least, not yet accepted it. And then finally, the temple of God versus idols. 
He's contrasting these two different groups. And, and the warning for all this is the idea that he wrote earlier in 1 Corinthians, the previous letter in chapter 15, where he says, bad company corrupts good morals. See, that's the reason behind all this. That when you partner yourself with someone who doesn't share the same faith as you, that bad company will hurt you more than it will help them. Let me, let me give you this illustration. Let's suppose Richard were to come up here, and, and I choose Richard because I've, I've got some um, experience. That's the word I'm going to use, some experience on Richard, also known as pounds, right? So I'm much heavier than Richard, but if Richard were to come up here, and, and now we were to get into tug of war, where my goal is to pull Richard up on the stage, and Richard's goal is to pull me down. Despite all my extra experience, who's going to win that battle? Richard will, because he's got gravity working on his side in two different ways. Number one, pulling him down, so I have to overcome him and gravity. He can just go limp. But then the other problem is now, gravity is also pulling me down. And so despite my experience, Richard will win because it's always easier to pull someone down than it is to pull someone up. And that's what happens in this world. And sin works much like, like gravity in the sense that it's going to try to pull you down. And so when you partner with the world, when you partner with people with bad morals, essentially, they're going to tend to pull you down more than you'll be able to pull them up. Hence the reason the flirt to convert is not always a very wise choice. <laughs> right? But again, let me, let me give some examples of what this might look like, right? So it could be dating, or it could be even in a marriage, or it could be even raising your kids, how, how that impacts you. I mean, who you're married to has a huge impact is what you do with your time, how you spend your free time, where you go, and, and the kind of lifestyle that you're going to live, where you're going to invest your, your, your money, and where you're going to invest your time, even how you're going to raise your kids, and so I often see in marriages where, where husband and wife don't share the same faith, there's all kinds of conflict now. Where now it's, it's a struggle. Do we raise them in this church or, or do we not raise them in church at all? Do we, do we teach these certain things or do we teach these certain things over here? And there's all kinds of conflict here. And the kids are caught in the middle of all that often. Or maybe it's in, in business partnerships. Maybe you're in business and you're in partnership with someone who's not a believer. And now you don't share the same goals. You don't share the same ethics. And so now this business partner, they're, they're happy to cut corners. They're happy to cheat the customer, cheat the client. They're happy to, to make a few extra bucks, not worrying about the long-term impact on those clients, those customers, because it's all about in that moment, selfishly for themselves. Or maybe they want to cheat the government, cheat the taxes and so forth. The problem with that is while they're acting in that way, who wears it? You do, because you're in a partnership. It doesn't only impact one side of the partnership, it impacts you as well. And so it's going to drag you down into all that. Or maybe it's with close friendships. And, and what happens now in those close friendships now, what's going to happen is they're going to, they're going to want to live a life of death. Because that's what they're looking for. They're trying to find life in this world, which is only death. And I, and I think about Pinocchio's quote-unquote friends. The friends that, that tempted him to go to, to Pleasure Island, where they could just enjoy the life and have all kinds of fun and, and excitement. But then in the end, what happened to those little boys? They turned into a bunch of asses. I use that in the biblical term, <laughs> just so we're clear. They turned into donkeys. 
right? But that's what happens. And so that's that bad company is corrupting those good morals. And I speak from experience. When I was, when I was growing up in the church, shame told me that I didn't belong here. Shame told me that I didn't, I didn't fit in with the other kids because I didn't seem to have the same passion and excitement about the things of God as everyone else did. I was more interested in cars and sports and, and, and waiting for the Maple Leafs to win the Stanley Cup. And I'm still waiting. And maybe for a while. Nonetheless, that's where my interests were. And so I, I believe this lie that I didn't, I didn't fit in. And so because I believe that lie, I withdrew. Please understand, it had nothing to do with the church. It was on me. I made that choice. And so I began to withdraw. I began to pull away. And I used all kinds of things to justify it. You know, Christians are so judgmental. They're a bunch of hypocrites. They say one thing and act a different way. You know what? I, I don't need them. I'm going to pull away from them. And yes, the irony of calling them judgmental while me judging an entire group of people was lost on me. Didn't see it. Because shame was willing and able to deceive me into that belief. And so I began to pull away. And I found friends at school. And, and the friends I had at school, they weren't interested in God. They were interested in partying and drinking and some of the, and the drugs and, and so forth. And, and I never got into those things. Uh, I was too cheap to drink. It's a lot of money. And, and I also knew that drugs were just stupid, so I didn't get into that sort of thing. But for me, my downfall were, was girls, was relationships. And I so desperately wanted to be loved by these girls who didn't know Jesus that I was willing to compromise my desires, my ethics, what I knew to be right, in order to please them, in order to maintain that relationship with them. And, and so while I didn't, I didn't follow this life that, you know, led me into to a biker gang and selling drugs or driving a Ford F-150 and none of those things, <laughs> I, I kept clean in that sense. But it did lead me away from experiencing God. It, 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 it led me to having my mind only focusing on this world and what this world had to offer. And I experienced death. The best way I could describe it, it was a leanness within my soul. I felt empty. I felt exhausted. I felt, felt hollow within. And that's what leads you to be more and more desperate to fill it with something. And, and the reality was, it wasn't until I started going back to church. Ironically, it was to impress a girl. God will use all that. But I went back to church and I began to meet some people. Some really good people. And Greg Ballard as well. So... <laughs> But I met some great people who, who began to show me and encourage me about what it meant to find life in Jesus. And, and my soul came alive. My soul began to be, be fed. I, I went from essentially dining out in a, in a dumpster and eating the scraps from the, that I found on the side of the road to now having a home-cooked meal. And I felt full and I felt alive again. And I, I felt that joy because what these friends were doing now is they were pointing me back to Jesus. That was the greatest gift I could have. I was having more fun with them without doing it the world's way because Jesus was involved in that. Jesus is the heart of all that. And, and so that was this, this invitation that God's giving to us here. But our partnerships, again, could be marriage, it could be business, but even in terms of your closest, deepest friends, are they of the world or are they of, of God? Now, does this mean that we ought to become silos? 
where we, we become monks and we begin to, to separate and distance ourselves from the rest of the world. Because I've seen this, this passage has been used for that, that you're not supposed to be unequally yoked. You're not supposed to, to be part of the world. In fact, he goes on to say, be separate. Come away from them. And so what I see sometimes is his believers is they, they, they cut off all their unbelieving friends. They cut off all the relationships with the people who don't know Jesus and they become little silos, little, little monasteries where all the only people they know are other believers. Is that what God's asking us? Of course not. That doesn't make sense. Think back just a few verses at the end of chapter five where, where Paul says that we're ambassadoring. I don't know if that's a word or not, but if George Bush can make up words, so can I, right? We're more than just ambassadors. When we were studying that passage, we saw ambassador there as a verb. It's what we're doing. We're ambassadoring. We're representing our, our true citizenship, our true nationality, which is of the kingdom of God. And so we're not of this world, but we are in it. We are here, and we're meant to be here. We're meant to connect to this world. We're meant to share the life of Jesus. We're meant to be light. Remember what Jesus said, that if you had a light on top of a hill, would you throw a bushel over and cover it? No, it would be no good to anyone. You want that light to shine. And so that's what we're wanting to do. We're wanting the light of Jesus to shine in the world so that we could share the life of Jesus, that we can then have a place to encourage them to be reconciled, to be redeemed, to embrace the acceptance, the, the gift that God's giving them of salvation. So we're meant to be in this world, but we're not to live like this world. We're not to partner with this world. And that's the difference here. In, in essence, if I could put it this way, we, we want to have a healthy boundary with the world where, where we're allowing the world in. We're allowing the world to come close to us, but not to the point where they're now going to attach our, to our heart, not to the point where they're now going to cause damage to us. And so those boundaries are healthy. Those boundaries are good because those boundaries are meant to protect us. And again, that's what the purpose of the command is. Do not be bound to unbelievers so you don't hurt yourself. You still have friendships. You still have connections. You can still talk with people and enjoy people, whether it be at work or your neighbors or, or friends from school and long, go, long ago or, or maybe even currently. Other family members, you can still have those relationships, but to a point, to a point. And as Robin has said it many times, right, that, that him and I are closer than if his brother wasn't a believer, Fortunately, his brother is, but, but Robin and I were closer as brothers in Christ than he would have if his brother wasn't a Christian. And that's this idea here. And so Robin and I, we can, we can be knit together. We can have this partnership because we're of the same faith. And we can encourage and we can support and we can love one another. But if my own brother, or if his own brother was not a believer, then it's to a point. <laughs> Because otherwise, they begin to, to, to pull us down, pull us into this miss, into this mess. And that's what God's wanting. I mean, he's always wanted. In fact, with Israel, they were meant to be a nation of priests. They were meant to be different. He I separate you. You're a holy nation. You're a different people. You're going to live differently. But your point is not inward. It's to be outward, to be a, a, a kingdom of priests towards the world around you, to other nations. 
Well, now under the new covenant, that's what we are. We are a kingdom of priests called to live differently, to be differently, but to share that life, that, that, that uh, display that life towards other people. That's the point of what he's going for. And so what that means is that what we're going to have to be is, is as wise as a serpent, but as innocent as a dove. Isn't that what Jesus calls us to be? Right? Those boundaries, having that wisdom. How, how close do I let these people in? But as innocent as a dove, as loving, as caring as we possibly can be. So he's explaining why, the reason why. The command is don't be bound. The reason is because we're, we're very different. We're no longer sinners saved by grace. We're saints who, yes, sometimes sin, but saints nonetheless, children of God, belonging to God. But now in verse 16, we're going to see this exhortation. And this, this exhortation is the encouragement that God gives us. So he says, um, halfway through 16, for we are the temple of the living God. Amazing. We're the temple of the living God. I mean, think about the significance of that. What is a temple? A temple is a place where, where a God, right? If it's, if it's a temple to a false God or, or the, the holy temple in Jerusalem, a temple in essence is a dwelling place where a God is said to reside. But notice he doesn't say you worship at a temple. He says you are the temple. You're the dwelling place of God. Incredible. God, God has chosen not to stay in a building. He doesn't live in something that is made by human hands. He says in Acts, where does he choose to live? In you and me. With a temple of not just God, the living God, the powerful God. He's taken up permanent residence inside of you and I, making us holy, which means we've been designated for special use designated to belong to God so that he would now live in through us. Verse, verse 17. Well, let's read the, the, the rest of 16 and then verse 17. So you are the temple of living God, just as God said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. This... Um, this passage is quoting the Old Testament. And so if you're in your Bible and you see that it's all caps, that's what's happening here. It's, he's quoting the Old Testament here. And, and the passage is referring to uh, when God was speaking of, of the temple in Jerusalem. And he was explaining his, 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 his desire there. But again, that Old, Old Testament temple was merely a foreshadow, a, a picture of you and I today. And that's why God doesn't dwell in a physical building. He dwells in you and I. We are the temple of God. But this verse 17 jumped off the page of me. And, and if you get nothing out of this morning, except for this one thing, let it be this. Because verse 17, I think, is the most important pass, part of this passage. Even more so than the command. I mean, the command is, don't hurt yourself by, by not being uh, unequally yoked. But verse 17 jumped off the page at me in such a way because it shows the heart of God. Look what he's saying there. He says, uh, sorry, verse 16. I will dwell in them and walk among them. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. Do you see what God's heart is? It's, it's really been the heart of God since Genesis 1-1. 
It's why God created the heavens and the earth, why he created people, because his longing is, number one, I want to dwell in people. The word dwell means to abide, to take up residence, to live. You're God's dream home. It's what he's longed for. I just, God says, I just want to live in people. I want to take up residence in them so I can be with them, that I can be one with them. So there's no distance, no separation, no, no, no gap that we're one together. And that's his desire, that I, would, I could dwell in people. And not only that, that I could walk among them. That I, I could live life with them. We could, we could do life together. We could experience an intimacy through all things in their world. When they go to work, when they go to play, when they're making dinner, or they're shoveling snow, or they're sledding down a hill, or they're chatting with friends, or they're watching a show. We get to do that together. The intimacy that he wants. And he says, and I will be their God. I'll be the one they worship, but I'll be the one that looks after them. I'll be the one that provides for them. I'll be the one that cares for them. I'll be the one that, that looks after all their needs. I will be their God. And they will be my people. They will be part of my tribe. They'll belong to me. That's his desire. He had that with Adam. He had that with Enoch. He had it with Moses. He had it with Abraham. He had it with, with David. He just desired that. He had it with his disciples, the apostles. And it's what he wants with you and I. So I just want to re reside in you. I want to live in you. I want to walk with you. I want you to trust me as your God so that you can be my people. You can belong to me. And what's interesting is although that offer is available to all, not all take it. It says that about Moses and the children of Israel, that, that Moses really knew God, really understood God and his ways. But Israel only knew about God because Moses took up the offer that God had for him. And Israel was scared. Israel was afraid. They said, Moses, you know what? You be our mediator. You, you talk to God for us on our behalf and then, then God will talk to you and then you could talk to us. And they wanted that distance. But it's a distance that God didn't want. And it's not a distance that God wants today. I'm not your mediator. Someone else is not your mediator. The mediator is God himself. It's Christ. And he wants nothing in between us. And that's the invitation he's making to us. And unfortunately, what we've done is we've complicated the gospel. And in complicating it, we've, we take something that is so beautiful, which is this intimate, close relationship with Jesus, dwelling, living, walking among us. And we turn it into religion where it's me performing for God. It's me following rules and, and, and trying to live in a way that would be pleasing to him on my own strength. It's not what he wants. It's not what he wants at all. So what's the conclusion of all this, right? So we saw there's a command. We saw the or the explanation. And then there's the ex exhortation. And now there's the application. So verse 17, Paul writes, quoting again from the Old Testament, Therefore, come out from their midst and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. And then verse 1 of chapter 7, Therefore, 
having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. This is having these promises. The promises is the heart of God, that he wants to dwell, walk, be our God, and us to be his people. That's the promise, because we have all that. Stay yoked with him. Keep turning to him. Don't try to yoke yourself with someone else. And if you are, he says, then maybe you need to be separate. Maybe you need to, to, to remove yourself, if you can, from that kind of partnership so that, that you won't be negatively impacted. You won't be hurt by that. And now in verse 1 of chapter 7, I think there's, there's some misconceptions in terms of how it's translated here because it, in my translation here talks about, the, about maybe your flesh and your spirit being defiled. But if you're righteous... Based on Christ's work alone, how can you defile what God has done? You can't. So I think it's a mistranslation often in, in verse 1 here because it's not my flesh, it's not my spirit that's being defiled, but rather what he's warning against is that the, the world, through their flesh and through their spirit, which is not clean, may end up causing damage to you. And so a better translation, I think, there's my, my paraphrase or my free translation of it. At verse 1, he says, Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us separate. That's that word cleanse, literally means separate. And I think that fits the, the, what he's quoting in the Old Testament. To begin to create some distance, create some boundaries there. Separate ourselves from all defilement by. That's a better translation. It's not of the flesh and spirit, but it's by the flesh and the spirit of the world perfecting that holiness. Not that you're becoming more holy, because how can you add to the finished work of Jesus? You foolish Galatians, chapter three of Galatians. How can you add or perfect what God's already done? Can't do it. So this idea of perfecting holiness that Paul's talking about isn't about trying to achieve a next level of holiness, but it's really just continuing maturing, continuing how you live. And so he says, having these promises, beloved, let us separate ourselves from all defilement by the flesh and the spirit of the world, perfecting holies, maturing into who we are in that fear, in that reverence of God. Be in awe of God. We, we had this great worship set this morning, and, and that's really what it was, is awe of who God is and the strength and the power that he, that he offers to us. And what's our response? Hallelujah. Gratitude. Praise him. We're going to trust you, God. I'm going to allow you to be my God so I can be your people, that you will dwell and you will, you will walk in and through me and I'll experience your care, your provision, your protection. And I'm going to trust you to supply the life that I need in any given moment. And so the counsel that Paul gives us here is to choose your relations carefully. Choose who you're going to partner yourself with. And maybe what that means is, is turning away and removing some things in your life that are causing you more harm than good. In, in Galatians 5.13, Paul writes, you were called to freedom, but don't turn that freedom into an opportunity for the flesh to bring death into your life. We've been free, right? Galatians 5.1 is for freedom that Christ set you free. He doesn't come to control us, although sometimes I wish he would. Instead, he come to set us free, which means you're free to sin. 
and you'll still be loved. You're free to make horrible choices and you'll still be loved. But when you do that, you're bringing death into your own life. You're bringing misery and emptiness and hollowness and leanness into your own soul and those around you. And so he says, because you have this freedom, don't use that freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Because that's what many people have done. Where they know that they shouldn't, they shouldn't enter into a partnership. They shouldn't enter a relationship maybe with someone. But, but they just love them. And they just got to be with them. And it'll all work out. Again, flirt to convert. It'll happen. And then down the road, they sit in my office. And their heart's cry is such re- regret, such remorse. Because they just can't get on that same page. And there's a part of their life that they can't ever share with that person. And they're kind of stuck in two worlds now. Whether it be just socially or then even worse, if they got kids now. And those kids are stuck in these two different worlds. And so that's the caution here. And so maybe we now need to separate from certain things. But again, it it may not even only be relationships. It might be all kinds of different things. Some examples might include social media. Maybe we need to separate from social media. It's, it's interesting, especially with young people. They began to notice, starting around 2004, that the amount of, of depression and suicide and angst in teenagers began to take off. After being relatively constant, it began to grow. Well, you know what launched in 2004? Facebook. And then after that comes... Instagram and Twitter and TikTok and countless other apps and social media programs. And what happens now is everyone, everyone sees on Facebook, they, they see what you, you want the other person to see. See, Facebook and social media is not a window into your life. It's a narrow window into what you have, you have uh, ordained or you, what you have, um, what's the, the term? Curated. Curated. Thank you. That's the word I was looking for. They've, you've curated your life. And so they're seeing, what you're seeing actually is not their real life. But you look at them and they think, wow, they have it all together. Wow, I can't believe what's happening. I remember many, many years ago, five little kids, uh, they're all at home. I think we were homeschooling some of them at the time, but most of them were not in school yet. And, and Joy took a picture of one of our kids who was all dressed up in some crazy outfit. And, and someone commented on, how is your house so clean? Because they noticed in the background there was no mess. And they're like, you have five kids and your house is so clean. I've, I've got, I got one child and I can't keep it clean. And so they were immediately comparing themselves. And so I was so glad Joy immediately then took another picture of the, all the unfolded laundry sitting on the stairs. He goes, uh, let's open the window a little bit. Because our house is not clean. It's a mess, and that's okay because it's lived in. But that's not the part that people see. And so we're constantly contrasting, comparing, and always failing to measure up to the expectations that social media has presented to us that we've accepted. Or maybe, maybe social media is unhealthy because it's presenting to you people who are not dressed. Period. <laughs> like they're just underdressed. And, and so now that causes all kinds of temptation and lust in you. And all it's doing is it's hurting your mental health. 
Or, or maybe there's certain apps on your phone or on your, on your tablet or on your computer, maybe games, or maybe some of these social media or, or some, some streaming services that you're, you just end up watching that are hurting you as well, that are exposing you to things that we don't need in our lives, we don't need to see. And so we don't end up watching healthy content, we end up watching bad content. And it's not only, only the sex and nudity out there, Although that's, that's prevalent and we've almost become normalized to that. But maybe it's some violence. Maybe it's some content and themes. Or maybe it's even more subtle how things are presented. Because this world has an agenda. Make no mistake. Every award show we see, the, the, the directors, the producers, the actors get up and they are proud of receiving these awards for social change. They see themselves as trying to bring change to society. And we see it. And, and it's counter to what God teaches. It's counter to what we've known and we've believed for thousands of years in the word of God on issues like gender and sexuality and relationships and so forth, where they try to convey these ideas that, that open relationships, for example, are normal. One night stands are normal. You meet someone, you end up in bed with them that day. It's normal. And, and nothing's shown, nothing's graphic, but it's slowly changing our thinking, our slowly changing our mind. And so often what I do is I start talking back to the programs. It's not right. It's not true. It's a lie. Because otherwise it will plant a seed of doubt that will over time begin to change us. And so ask yourself when you're watching these programs afterwards, do I feel fulfilled? Do I feel encouraged? Do I feel like I've fed my soul? Or do I feel exhausted? Do I feel tired? Do I feel a little less clean as a result of this? Maybe there's habits, routines that we've allowed in our lives. Maybe it's friendships and relationships that we've allowed in our lives that, again, aren't healthy to us. Or maybe it's even food and alcohol. Now, it's not wrong to drink alcohol, and it's most certainly not wrong to eat food, but we can abuse it. We can have too much junk food, too much rich food, too much dessert, too much ice cream, or maybe too much alcohol, or none of that is healthy for us. So maybe we need to separate from that. Maybe we need to pull back from all those things. That's what he's saying to us. That's what he's telling us. Now, the problem is, how do we know? Because this, this is where this passage has been abused, because now pastors get up and say, well, now here's the things. Don't watch this movie. Don't go to these theaters. Don't play cards, don't drink, don't dance, don't smoke, don't chew, and don't go with girls that do. That's what I was told, right? And, and it was crazy. Like, you, you couldn't play cards if they were face cards, but you could play other cards. And all the rules and all the, the different things, because that became the standard by which you were to be judged by. That's just bringing the law in. It's not what we're saying. What we're saying is, let the Holy Spirit guide you. Let the Holy Spirit trust. Trust the Holy Spirit to tell you what's right and not. For some, maybe, maybe it's not right to have, have a second bowl of ice cream. Maybe it's not right to have a first bowl of ice cream. But for someone else, it's okay. And that's all right. That's the scary part here because there isn't a hard rule. But you know what? We can trust the Holy Spirit. We can trust Jesus who dwells in you, who walks among you, who wants to be your God, who wants you to be his people. He wants to lead you. He says, well, come to me and I'll show you. Just trust me. 
of trust, trust me, but what apps you have on your phone or, or maybe you, maybe you don't take your phone to your bathroom anymore, or, or maybe you turn off the TV at a certain time, or maybe you need to, to cut back on these relationships. Maybe you cut back on these, on these foods. We can trust God to show us. And that's the beauty of it. It isn't a rule. It isn't a law. It's trust Jesus. And he was going to tell us what to do. Well, there's one last thing we need to address quickly, but it's important that we address it. And it's what do you do if you're in a relationship? If you're in a marriage? Or maybe you're, you're in such a partnership that you can't get out of it. What do you do in that case? Well, thankfully, God's given us his counsel. God's told us what to do. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And he's writing to now to the, the church, speaking, speaking specifically on marriage. And what do you do if you are married to someone who's not a believer? Because for a lot of people, again, the church was new. And so a lot of people, there was no growing up in the church at this point. At this point, it was, it was more likely that they, someone came to faith, but their spouse had not. And so what do you do? And so he, he tells them what to do. In 1 Corinthians 7, verse 12, Paul writes, But to the rest I say, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever, and she consents to live with him, let him not send her away. And a woman who has an unbelieving husband, and he consents to live with her, let her not send her husband away. Pretty simple command. If you're married to, if, you're, if you are bound to someone who's not a believer, you don't have to reject them. You don't have to walk away from them. If they're in agreement, that it's okay for you to continue practicing your faith. If they're not agreeing to continue to practice your faith, then he's got something else to say. Well, let's go on verse 14. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified through his wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified through her husband. For otherwise your children are unclean, but now they are holy. What does all that mean? All he's saying is you don't know what's going to happen. That, that maybe your spouse isn't yet a believer, but the story's not over yet. And as you stay with them, and as you love them, and as you invite them at some, the right point when Jesus tells you for that faith in Jesus, maybe they'll accept. And now you'll no longer be mismatched. Maybe you'll no longer be unequally yoked. And instead, you'll have invited them into the kingdom of heaven. And in that moment, what happens in heaven? Party goes off. A celebration that the university can't even imagine or fathom because one person has put their faith in Jesus because you're willing to live with them. That's what he's saying. Verse 15, yet if the unbelieving one leaves, let him leave. The brother or sister is not under bondage. In such cases, God has called us to peace. For how do you know, O wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, O husband, whether you will save your wife? Only as the Lord has assigned to each one, as God has called each, in this manner let him walk. And thus I direct all the churches. Again, it's up to God to lead you. As to when you stay, when you, when you go. What relationships you want to be a part of, which ones you don't want to be a part of. But just be aware that every relationship you're in will influence you. Guaranteed. Every, every relationship, every, everything we do has an influence on us, whether good or bad. And the choice is, do you want to be in healthy relationships? Do you want to have healthy dynamics that will help you? Or do you want to have ones that hurt you and pull you down? Let's pray. Father God, we, we thank you so much that it isn't a series of rules. It's not, it's not do this, don't do that. It's not choose this and don't choose that. 
It's trust you. And you can speak to us through your word. You can encourage us to trust you and to, we can follow you and you will show us the things that need to change in our lives, the things that we need to drop, separate, put up healthier boundaries so that we can be free and live in that freedom and experience your life. In your name we pray, amen. You've been listening to the New Life Fellowship Podcast. Thanks for joining us. For more great content, please be sure to check out our website, newlifekw.ca, and sign up for our mailing list. Subscribers will receive our The Life in the Apartment ebook that is sure to encourage and bless. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and subscribe to our YouTube channel to watch the latest services and additional video content. New Life Fellowship is a registered charity that is supported by the giving of partners and friends. All donations will be received. If you would like to donate, donate at newlifekw.ca. Your giving is highly valued and appreciated. You are loved. Take care.